Hello and welcome to the Football Outsiders Data Show. I am your host, Assistant Editor Vincent Verhey. Joining me as always, Football Outsiders Editor-in-Chief Aaron Schatz, Football Outsiders Contributing Writer Brian Knowles, and we are just going to jump right into things today because we have a lot to talk about, a lot, especially about the running game. There has been a big resurgence in the running game in the NFL in 2022, and it may have peaked uh, in Week 12 over Thanksgiving, starting with these Philadelphia Eagles. Brian, talk to me a little bit about how the Eagles just trampled the Packers. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, on Sunday night, it seemed like everything the Eagles did was a run, and every single run had like three missed tackles and went 12 yards downfield. The Eagles rushed for 363 yards, which is the seventh most since the merger. Uh, we have the, uh, the, 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 the uh, seven, it's also seventh most since the passing will change in 1978. That's the big one there. Jalen Hurts became the fourth player in NFL history with both 150 yards passing and rushing in the same game. And the last time the Eagles managed a 360-yard rushing game was in 1948 on their way to an NFL championship. It was just an absolute pounding of the Packers run game over and over. And Joe Barry was trending on Twitter very quickly, and not exactly for positive reasons. Everyone and their brother wanted him fired after that game. I just want to say that I went into that game needing Miles Sanders to outscore Deontay Johnson Mm. to win my fantasy matchup. He did. (laughs) (laughs) A nail biter. Um, I'm happy for your success. Uh, you, you talked about the, uh, the, the, the raw total of team rushing yards there and, uh, the seven other teams to do it. It actually happened last year. Uh, the Ravens of course, uh, had, uh, uh, 404 yards against the Bengals, but, uh, some of these other teams and some of these other players, uh, you know, the, the big rushing stars we have seen over the past, well, really was this three and a half decades. The thing is, most of these uh, other games were like one running back came close to setting the record. Like Corey Dillon, I think, set the record in 2000 for rushing yards. And so the team had over 400 rushing yards. And Adrian Peterson then set the record in 2007 against the Chargers. So the Chargers had a bunch of rushing yards. But this was like four guys. This, this was this was everyone coming from every angle. And the Packers just had no answers for everybody. And it feels like every time there's a huge rushing game uh, recently, especially when a quarterback's involved, it's been the Packers just just flopping all over the field trying to catch people. I, yeah. Many years ago, uh, I don't know how many, but I wrote, I wrote the Packers, Packers chapter in Football Outsiders Almanac and discussed their struggles stopping quarterback runs. And it's, it's, it's a franchise thing. They, they've had many regimes in there, but they gave up the record to Colin Kaepernick in the playoffs. Uh, they lost home to Michael Vick in the playoffs. It, 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 it's been a theme for the Green Bay Packers franchise for a long, long time. They are vulnerable to quarterback runs, and I don't really know why. They actually were really low in the number of scrambles against them going into this game. Oh. I wrote about it at ESPN Chalk, and I was like, oh, I guess the Packers don't really allow quarterbacks. Their pass rush isn't good enough to force quarterbacks to scramble that much. But Hertz had to scramble, and when he did, he just got these colossal chunks of yardage. Now, I'll point out, by the way, the Eagles did not have the best rushing DVOA of the week of any team. But there's two main reasons for that. The first is that those scrambles count as passes, not as runs, when it comes to team DVOA. And the other is opponent adjustments. 
So Cincinnati actually had the highest run DVOA of the week because they played Tennessee, and Tennessee is the number one run defense in the league. But I will point out that if you changed the Jalen Hurts scrambles from passes to runs, the Eagles would have had a run team DVOA of 54% for the week. And uh, while the Titans are the toughest run defense in the league, the Packers are now officially the worst run defense in the league. This game knocked them down below the Browns for thirty to get to get into thirty. And seconds. that's saying something because the Browns' run defense has been awful, and the Chargers' run defense yes has been has given up a lot of yards, but in DVOA they're not like the worst in the league. I, I will add the Texans in there. I've been watching the Texans and Browns kind of flip-flop for the worst-place run defense, and now Green Bay has passed them both and passed the Chargers, who are also one way or another terrible uh, in run defense. So, yeah, uh, it's a, a, a fascinating race to the bottom there for those who Just care about More props things. to Jeffrey Simmons and the Titans for being able to stop runs, man. At least somebody can this year. Yeah. yeah, we had a Samaj P. Ryan tops in rushing value among running backs, not Josh Jacobs, who we'll get to here shortly. But uh, Samaj P. Ryan, the first running back to score a rushing touchdown against the Tennessee Titans since week one. <laughs> and uh, 58 yards doesn't sound like much. I think it was 58, whatever, whatever he had. It was the most against the Titans by a running back since Josh Jacobs in week three. So uh, the, the, you ask how, uh, not you guys specifically, but viewers ask, how are the Titans always winning these ugly games? And the answer is they absolutely do not let you run the ball on them. And so even if you have the advantage, you can't kill clock, and this keeps them in close games and gives them a chance to win at the end, assuming they don't do a dumb penalty on a field goal attempt. Seattle also goes in that list of bad run defenses from this year, which gets us to the Josh Jacobs game, which I think really surprised people in quick reads because Josh Jacobs was number one running back of the week, but – Despite having 303 scrimmage yards, he was not his did not have historical quick reads numbers at all. No. Uh, yeah. One of the people shocked by that was me uh, because I, I you know <laughs> I, I, I put together all these numbers you know for, for the show and I just I just assumed going in that Jacobs was going to have you know triple digit running value you know he's going to he's going to be on the we're going to run the list of the most viral running back games of all time and so on and so forth not even close not even close. Despite having the eighth most rushing yards, uh, it's the eighth most yards from scrimmage in NFL history, he only has he only had forty five DYIR, which that that's that that's crazy. I mean, just some of the other big names, Clipper Anderson's like record breaking game. That's one hundred and sixty DYIR. The uh, Adrian Peterson three uh, three hundred yard rushing game that was ninety four DYIR. Uh, Priest Holmes had one fifty two in his three hundred yard games. Uh, Calvin Johnson had hundred eleven. All the you know usually. Usually when you see these huge numbers, they show up huge in the advanced stats too. But Jacobs, I mean, it was a good day. Don't don't get us wrong. He, he had he, he there's nothing you can't shrug at 45 DYR, but it wasn't even the best of the week. It was well, uh, rushing rushing wise, it was not the yeah. best of the week. But in, in in total DYAR, it was not among the top 20 games this year, uh, which really stunned me. But a part of it, a, a big part of it, is that it's the Seahawks defense, which has had some extreme mood swings. Uh, going from one of the worst defenses for about six weeks to one of the best for a month or so, and now appears to have fallen back to the other end of the spectrum being one of the worst again. Um, so uh, who knows what's going to happen going forward. If they, if they keep playing uh, like this, it's, we're going to see a lot more several hundred-yard games against the Seahawks. If they return back to their mid-October, early November form, we're gonna see, not going to see very many more. But uh, that's a big part of it. 
the other part of it is that DYAR and DVOA really like efficiency and reliability. And J Josh Jacobs was explosive, but he was not particularly reliable or efficient. Half of his yard, half of his rushing yards on the day came in as two touchdown runs. If you take away those two plays, he had 31 carries, averaged something like three and a half yards a carry. A lot of short yards going nowhere, a lot of stuffs in the backfield, a lot of uh, failures to convert in short yardage. So it, it just kind of all adds up to a, uh, a pretty dang forgettable day with the exception of two very long runs that made the difference in the game. Yeah, 12 of his 33 carries gained two yards or fewer. That's usually not a recipe for, for a great day, unless you tack an 86-yard touchdown on the end of it. Um, and that 86-yard touchdown saved Josh McDaniels' bacon. Oh, yes. Because oh. Josh McDaniels made some curious decisions in this game. That's a very friendly way to put it. Um, I'm not too critical of the end of regulation. Because Vegas started the end of regulation on its own nine with 40 seconds left and they ran two plays and that was it and yes they did have two timeouts but it is hard to score from your own nine in 40 seconds i would have loved to see them take at least one shot but but i can give i can understand the logic about about, about sitting out and playing for overtime the That's bigger cool. problem is the 56 yard field goal in overtime on fourth and two mm -hmm. because here's the thing Four 56-yard field goals are hard. You are going to convert fourth and two more often, probably, than you are going to hit. I don't have the exact numbers, mm -hmm. but you are probably going to convert fourth and two more often than you are going to hit a 56-yard field goal. And by the way, if you hit that 56-yard field goal, the other team still gets the ball back because yes. you had the ball first in overtime. So I – ran the numbers through the edge sports simulator and it's amazing our numbers actually like punting punting the ball better than yep. a field goal they said 52 percent chance of winning if you go for it 39 percent if you punt 36 percent if you try a field goal it was baffling at the time, especially we've seen, you know, coaches get so much criticism for attempting long field goals this year that they would trot them out, that they would trot out the kicker in that situation. It's, I, I that's when I thought that this game's gonna end in a tie because I didn't trust Seattle to be able to get anything on the ground there. That, that's when I thought this game is going to go the full 10 minutes. We're not gonna get anything here. It's gonna be, you know, we're gonna be just poking fun at these teams all day because the odds against them are just so massive. When, when punting is the better option, punting. Yeah. Yeah. See that there's 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 a lot going on here. Um, the, the most important thing is in the current overtime rules, if you kick a field goal in the opening possession, the other team still gets a ball gets a, the ball and a chance to beat you. That's bad. <laughs> Kicking a field goal in the first drive is not a good thing. Um, and it, I, I think the announcers were calling it a game winning field goal. And I was like, no, this is not a, this is not a game winning field goal. They, they will not win the game if they kick this. Um, we talked about this with Josh uh, uh, Nathaniel Hackett in week one. It's in Seattle. You don't have to see a lot of long field goals in Seattle. And uh, this was even longer than the, 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 the Broncos kick was. Um, it was only fourth and two. As we've discussed, Josh Jacobs was not reliable, but he was getting some good runs. You, were, you had options. You had, a, um, frankly, both offenses were, were rolling in this game, scoring 30-some points. Uh, it was an offensive game. So kicking a th – this is the thing I don't think people understand. If the field goal had been good, 
at that point, you would probably still expect the Seahawks to at least rally and tie, if not win. Um, there was a lot of points flying around back and forth, and three points is probably not going to be enough to win. So mm. it, it, it boggled my mind. It made no sense. It felt like the easy way out. It was a Josh McDaniels decision. And then even with the, with the three and out, they got pinned deep in their own territory with little time left, you know? So even even failing, yes. even even... Even though they got the ball back, you would still expect a tie at that point. They needed one outstanding, rare, explosive play, and you cannot count on 86-yard touchdown runs. No. No. It's almost like he was playing for the tie, which doesn't make sense when you're way out of the playoff race. You, you need wins. Ties, tie, if you're on the fringe of the wild card hunt and you're just trying to maintain ground, fine. But if the Raiders have any shot of getting back into this, they need victories, not ties. And they got one. They, 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 they got one. Which is yeah, they ended up getting one. How you know? Yep. But bigger than the NFC race in the AFC. But hey, you know what? Sometimes you make all the wrong calls, and it still comes out right for you in the end. They're still pretty out of it, though. It's yeah. still oh, pretty much nineteen <laughs> race, nine teams, seven spots, nine teams, yeah. seven spots. Yeah. Now they were not the only team that got a late, close, last minute, if not last second win. Uh, we saw multiple teams score what could have been game tying touchdowns. Only instead of kicking the extra point to force overtime, they opted to go for two and the win right away. And for those of us, those of us who are fans of exciting football, the good news is both won, and hopefully teams will be more aggressive in the future. Yeah, it's it's a very rare play. I'm not quite sure I, got, I have found all of them, but I believe these were only the 11th and 12th game-winning two-point conversions in NFL history since the two-point conversion was brought back in 1994. Uh, I'm talking uh, two points in the last uh, two minutes to take the lead when they could have had the tie. Where also, I should point out, the other team didn't come back and win because there are a couple of cases where someone did right. this with like a minute and a half left. And there's, a big di there's a big difference between scoring two to go up with a minute left yes. and scoring two to go up with six seconds left. In fact, people talk about this with analytics and they assume this is some sort of an analytics decision. It's not an analytics decision. The analytics almost always say it's basically a toss-up based on how good you think your two-point play is and how much you think your chances are of winning in overtime. But where analytics do make say is that if there's a minute or a minute and a half left, yes. analytics actually prefer the extra point because you don't want to give your opponent a reason to be aggressive and try to come back and beat you mm -hmm. in regulation. But with like six seconds left, it's basically a toss-up. But these coaches decided they wanted to be aggressive and they wanted to end the game, and they did. That's what happened in week one. Remember, the Giants had their uh, game-winning two-point conversion against the Titans, but the Titans got the ball back and marched down for it. They, it was like, I think it was like a, a long – I think it was a 40-something-yard field goal. It was right, and then missed field that goal. field goal. Yeah. yeah so, well, it, all, you know, it almost happened here with the few seconds the Ravens you – know, we, we, we should mention the Jaguars beat the Ravens, the Chargers beat the Cardinals. These are the two games we're talking about. But after the Jaguars got the two-pointer to go up one, the Ravens took whatever, however many seconds they had, and they got into position for Justin Tucker to try a 67-yarder. And I, I, I think that would have been a record, but it's Justin Tucker, and he can do this. It's a non-zero odds, a uh, non-zero chance of him hitting this field goal and beating you. So – it almost backfired on Jacksonville, and fortunately for them, he didn't nail it quite perfectly. Yeah, he was about three yards short. Yeah, he got, he got the win. 
Um, what does that say about Justin Tucker that uh, they, that everyone was thinking this is going to go through? This is going to be a great moment. I mean, how many kickers league giving you the sh- chance? I thought it was going to. I thought it was going to go through. No. When, when it was, yeah, when it, it was. It, he had the accuracy. He had the accuracy. It's his leg was just a little bit short. Um, he's he's human. <laughs> Turns out he's not. He's not Robo kicker. Yeah, it, I think it was fifty-two consecutive fourth-quarter field goals. Like you know, the, the, the man does not miss unless you make him try to do something that literally no one has ever done before. Right, right. And I'll point out that these two games with the two-point conversions were the two games this week that had a reverse post-game win expectancy, which is according to the play-by-play of the game and the number of plays, the number of penalties, you would have expected Baltimore to beat Jacksonville 87% of the time, and you would have expected Arizona to beat the Chargers 74% of the time. But instead, it's the Jaguars and the Chargers who took home the wins. And that kind of backs up the decision to go for the two-point conversion and the win right there. Because right, because you're getting outplayed on the day. If you're getting outplayed on the day, you're more likely to be outplayed in overtime, especially Jacksonville versus Baltimore. Baltimore is a better team. You want to not go to overtime because the chances of the more likely that Baltimore will, will beat you in overtime, it's more than a 50-50 shot because they're a better team. So you want to end it in regulation. Yeah, that's that's what it's close as analytics gets to answering that question. If the other team's better than you, try to maximize variance. Try to you know put it all on one play when you have you know when you've been doing just marching down the field. So uh, a few more notes here about these Jaguars and Chargers before we move on. Uh, historic win for the Jaguars and uh, some historic uh, uh, stat achievement for Justin Herbert. Uh, this was the first win in Jaguars history when they were trailing by seven or more points in the final minute of regulation. They've never had a last-second game-winning touch, uh, you know, touchdown to go to overtime and whatnot. Uh, so despite this being a, a poor season for the Jaguars on record, you know, they're 4-7. and seven, They still have a better point differential than 9-2 Vikings. So we're going to be in this boat next year where we're going to predict the Jaguars to do better just based on what we've seen from them this year. Uh, and we'll see if they can actually finally live up to that. <laughs> Yep, the Jaguars are better in point differential and DVOA than both the Vikings and the seven and four Giants. Meanwhile, with a with a baseball fan once about why this mattered or didn't matter, and I was trying to explain to him no wins wins and losses matter, but uh, what it tells you is that teams like the Jaguars, if they play just a little bit better on the field, you will see a dramatic improvement in their win loss record, and that, that that's kind of the way to look at it. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean the Jaguars are better than the Vikings. Uh, it just means there's a, a slight improvement in, 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 in on-field production will result in a massive improvement. Well, it suggests production. that they may be better than the Vikings in the future. That's the yes. thing. Wins and losses matter in the past. Yes. But this is about trying to predict the future. You know, Bill Parcells famously said, you are what you are. You are what your record says you are. Yeah. But that's not true. What's true is, you were what you were. Mm, yes. Wins and losses on the scoreboard do not change. You cannot go back and be like, we outplayed you and we had more yards and whatever. It doesn't matter. The wins and losses are what matters in the past, but not in the future. If we want to predict the future, all these other stats teach us a lot more than wins and losses. And everyone but Vikings fans today can finally get behind that. <laughs> <laughs> the quick note on the other game, uh, Justin Herbert uh, threw, threw three touchdown passes, now up to 88 for his career. 
only Dan Marino has thrown more in uh, his first three seasons. Uh, he, he, Herbert needs 10 touchdown passes over the last, what is it, uh, five, uh, six weeks in order yes. to uh, catch Marino for that. Herbert will absolutely get it. He will set the record, and then we will discover who understands or doesn't understand the concept of era adjustment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're finally at the point where all these early Marino records are beginning to fall, and it only took, you know, 35 years, right? Right, yeah. All right, we have a few other news notes here as we hit fourth down in our notes. Uh, big day for new, the New York Jets and a big day for Mike White. Uh, Brian, talk to me a little bit about what White did for the Jets and their win over Chicago. Mike White has two career 300-yard passing games in four starts. Zach Wilson has one career 300-yard passing game in 20 starts. Mike White had three passing touchdowns against the Bears. Not only has Wilson never thrown for three touchdowns in a game, he has just four passing touchdowns in 2022. Mike White had more passing yards and touchdowns in the first half than Zach Wilson had in his last two games combined. The Jets had the best offensive DVOA in the league this week at 52.3%. The best game of Wilson's career had the Jets at only 33.1%. We can say all we want about how the Chicago Bears have a terrible, terrible pass defense, and it was worse even than our numbers might suggest because they had two starting corners out with concussions and another one who left in the middle of the game. And yes, Mike White was hitting a lot of open receivers who who just were not covered. But Zach Wilson wasn't hitting open receivers who weren't covered. Zach Wilson was was uh, Zach, what Mike White was able to do in the same kind of situations that Zach Wilson did was miles beyond. I think the problem is the people assuming that Mike White is going to like do this every week now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah. it was just one game. There's a reason the guy's a career backup. Consider who he was playing against. That does not mean there's a there's a difference between Mike White is a real live NFL starting quarterback and Mike White is better than Zach Wilson. Yeah, this is far more referendum on what Wilson has not been able to do. Yes. I mean, like Garrett Wilson now has four touchdowns on the year. Two of them came this game from White. And two of them came from Joe Flacco when Wilson missed the beginning of the year. Zach Wilson has has not hooked up with them at all. He's got these weapons, and Wilson had, just was not able to connect with any of them. Yes. With, with, with all the good ge- uh, a lot of good teams playing on Thanksgiving, the Sunday slate was kind of watered down. So I, I had this game on one of my screens, but was not paying close attention to it until the fourth quarter. But I was cheering so hard for Mike White to get his fourth touchdown pass and tie Zach Wilson on the season. Uh, in his one start, but it, it didn't quite happen. But uh, I, I, I suspect it will happen sooner rather than later here as, as, as we go forward. I mean, is there, is there any way, any way you go back to Zach Wilson after this? I mean, I, no, no, no. Well, not, not unless White gets knocked out. And frankly, at that point, I'd probably go back to Joe Flacco. Uh, Zach Wilson has been, there's no other Zach word for it. He's been incompetent. He is, he, is, he is below the baseline competence needed to play quarterback in the NFL. Uh, uh, Robert Salas quote after the game about Mike White was just he made the easy look easy yes and Zach Wilson made the easy look impossible there's no reason to go back to Zach Wilson ever because not this year unless both Flacco and White get hurt and the Jets absolutely have to look for another quarterback in the offseason we all know which one we think they're getting 
which is <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, I, I, I pity Jets fans for the upcoming Garoppolo versus Wilson quarterback battle we'll be, we'll be dealing with during, during uh, training camp next year. Jimmy Garoppolo was better than Zach Wilson. Oh, m- much, much better than Zach Wilson. Still, yes. I, I, as a uh, connoisseur of the Jimmy Garoppolo experience, it's not something I particularly wish on very many other fan bases. It's way better than the Zach Wilson experience. <laughs> well, speaking of 49ers, am, am I good at transitions or what? Sure. Like it's like you're a professional radio guy or something. The San Francisco 49ers, uh, their defense has been on fire lately, especially in the second half of games. Uh, uh, Brian, talk to me a little bit about what they're doing after halftime here. Uh, they have not allowed a single second half point in their last four games. That ties the uh, record since 1940 and football became remotely watchable. Uh, so, so ever since they got blown out against the Chiefs, they have not allowed a single second half point. Uh, the only other teams to do that in the 21st century. The Patriots last year, uh, the 2009 Broncos, and the 2002 Buccaneers. So, so some some very solid defenses there. Uh, the all-time record, in case you're wondering if the Knights have a chance at that, is 13 by the 1920-21 Akron Pros. Because 1920s football was super exciting, you guys. That streak includes three zero zero ties. World Cup fever, baby. <laughs> <laughs> there are exciting zero zero ties. And then there's 1920s football. <laughs> they are a world apart. Uh, I like that the Saints had gone 332 games without being shut out, which was the active longest streak and the fourth longest streak in history. It was the first time the Saints had been shut out since 2001, also against the 49ers. And the new leader is the Steelers, who have not been shut out in 256 games. And the all-time leader is the 49ers, who were not shut out in 420 games from 1977 to 2004. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a record that may never fall. That, to, be, to be good for, for decade after decade after decade, just always getting something. Just, it, it's, yeah. it's almost impossible to conceive. Yeah. Turns out Bill Walsh was a very good coach, and the men who followed him were also good coaches. And, and their team has showed up at least a little bit every single week. I just think about the Patriots and their streak, you know, in their dynasty, but the Patriots were shut out in the first week of 2003. Yeah. And the Patriots were shut out in Jacoby Brissett's second start uh-huh. for the Bulls in 2016. So they don't even come close to this 49ers. Yeah, because all it takes is one game, you know, one game where you're, for, you're forced to the backup quarterback in there and everything, everything, is, 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 everything goes away. Uh, and to be fair, the Saints could have easily scored in this game. They were at the goal line multiple times, and the Niners managed to have those goal line stops. Uh, the Niners are a little, were a little fortunate not to allow any points points against the Saints in the second half. A little bit of fumble recovery luck there. A little fumble recovery, yeah. a big sack on fourth down when they, you know, Saints could have kicked a, uh, you know, a meaningless field goal just, you know, to to extend their streak. You know, so there were there were a couple fortunate plays. And as good as the Niners have been over this four game stretch. They don't actually have the best defensive DVOA over the past month, uh, either overall or just in the second half. Both, both the Jets and the Patriots have actually been a little bit better by our numbers. But the Niners do have the best overall DVOA since week eight. They're at 51.8% because they're also second on offense. The only team better than them on offense is the Miami Dolphins, who they get to play this week in a game I'm looking forward to and and am terrified of in equal measure. 
it is a, a monster game. All the, uh, uh, you know, so many people in Miami who used to play or coach for, for uh, San Francisco and Raheem Mostert this week, uh, talking about how he was, he felt pressured to get back on the field before he felt comfortable doing it. And I th- heard that quote and I think about how the 49ers have the most injured players every year. And I wonder if that's part of it. And, and it could be, it's a, at this point, it is a legitimate potential Super Bowl preview. So, yeah, that's that's the biggest game we've seen in a while in, in the NFL. Uh, before we move on, we have a question here from uh, Useful Title, uh, who's we're talking about Jimmy Garoppolo, Zach Wilson quarterback battle. And he says, wasn't it Zach Wilson the 49ers were trying to trade up for, but they could only get up to third for Trey Lance? Uh, Brian, I think you would know this better than I would as the resident 49ers fan, but I, um, it's, it's murky. <laughs> Yeah, there there are conflicting stories about this because yes. uh, some people some people say yes, absolutely they were looking for Zach Wilson, but some people were saying they were absolutely looking for Mac Jones. They kept yeah. this very close to the vest the whole time. I think they would have taken Lance over Wilson. That, but that's based mostly just on things they've uh, like reading the tea leaves of things they said before and after. Because I think they were looking for the more high the uh, high potential as opposed to Wilson, who had you know the one good year against the pandemic uh yeah. i think they would have taken wilson if lance had gone second i do i do think they would have taken him over mac jones i think they would have taken him over justin fields uh because you know quarterback evaluation is a crapshoot at this point in time right. and who knows but but i do not believe the niners were trading up for wilson because i believe they would have i believe they would they 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 knew what the jets were doing because remember the jets had just imported the 49ers coaching staff essentially so they 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 had a good idea who the jets wanted before they traded up to number three and, and that was not a trade made during the draft. It was made weeks or maybe even a month beforehand. So they knew who might and might not be available. And if there was one guy they really, really were targeting, they would have found a way to trade up to one or two and got him. And, uh, and they didn't. So they went, to, they went to three and they got Lance. And here we are. Yeah. yeah. They stopped that mystery box thing on the sideline. Who knows <laughs> what's in the mystery box? Schrodinger's quarterback. Uh He's he's both a star and a and a bust. I will uh, uh, I'll point out that useful title also points out that it's a bad year for quarterbacks with the last name Wilson, mm-hmm. both Zach and Russell, and the Broncos are now at fourteen point three points per game, which is the worst since the two thousand Browns, and it's gotten to the point where the defense is actively yelling at Russell Wilson on the sidelines, and Russell Wilson has played like the easiest schedule of opposing defenses this year, and he's been this bad. Like he's actually yeah. been worse than you think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He hasn't been the worst quarterback in the league, but when you add in his contract and all the expectations and all the let's ridiness that he brings with them, I mean, I I've got that keep they all keep chopping wood quarterback already kind of written at this point in Rock time. Country. Oh, yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. No. No. It's not gone well. And I I, I kind of I mean. I, for one, and maybe I'm naive, I don't know, but I, I, I buy the explanation both guys had after the game that uh, I, I believe it was Mike Purcell, who's yeah. one seen yelling at Wilson, but, you know, he was trying to encourage him. He was not chewing him out. He wasn't scolding him. He wasn't cursing him out. And that's that, that's their post-game story. I tend to believe them. Maybe I'm naive again, but it, honestly, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, it doesn't matter. They stink. They suck. It's unacceptable in Wilson's own words. And, and, and I, I and, um, my wife happens to have a friend who's a Broncos fan who uh, texted my wife and said, ask Vinny what's wrong with the Broncos. And rather than dictate an answer, I said, just hand me your phone. And uh, 
I don't even multi. Their defense isn't playing as well in the last couple of weeks either. No, Patrick Sertain's fallen off. They get a, a DJ Moore had a huge game against him. They, when, you have, when you have when you have passing numbers to the Panthers, mm-hmm. this is an issue. Yeah, yeah, but Russell Wilson should not be being out quarterback dueled by Sam Darnold. That that is no. not that's not a sentence that should happen. No, no, no. Although um, Sam Darnold's performance this week is a reminder to Jets fans not to crown Mike White yet because random things can happen in one week. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's been the story all year, literally since week one. Uh, the 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 Broncos beat the Seahawks in week one. If their running backs just hang on to the ball at the goal line, that's all they need to do: hang on the ball at the goal line to get a win. But they didn't do it that night, and they have hardly done it since. They are uh, last in the league in offensive red zone DVOA. And at some point, I don't know if we've done this yet. We're gonna have to look up the worst team ever in that split because I have to imagine Denver's threatening. We, we have. They're not quite there, but they're down with like. It's like the Phoenix Cardinals from like 1993 and like the Rams from like 2016, like the Keith Null era Rams. Like it's really bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah it, it, it's certainly no, no one with the expectations the Mongols had coming into the season has ever looked this bad. I, I think we, we, we can say that fairly definitively, I think. Yes. I mean, the Broncos, they, they got a prime a Christmas Day game. You know, they, they, it, it, I think it's Broncos Rams. The Christmas Day schedule, it turns out, sucks. Yeah. <laughs> no, it didn't suck in August, but yeah, the, everything that could have gone wrong has. Uh, the, the, the week, 15, week 15, they have to move some games to Saturday, and they can move some good stuff around. <clears throat> but week 16, Christmas, the Christmas games, you can't move those around, and they suck. Well, speaking of holidays, as Aaron's run of great segues continues here, we had some great football on Thanksgiving, some exciting football on Thanksgiving. The Cowboys got a big win, and Micah Parsons continues to shine. Micah, Micah Parsons had yet another multi-sack day. He they, they only come in bunches for him. He's the third player to have uh, 12 or more sacks in his first two seasons, joining uh, Alden Smith and Reggie White. And he's now had six, uh, two sacks in six games. Uh, he's too short of Reggie White's record of eight, set back in 1987. We're watching him try to gain that. It's very weird, because Pars- in six games, Parson has two sacks each. And he has no sacks in any other games. He does not have a, a, a single sack game yet. I have not watched a ton of Cowboys games. Are they still shifting him to linebacker a lot or leaving him an edge rusher? Less. He's- He's playing more edge rusher this year than last year. I know because I actually asked Sports Info Solutions about that because I was curious, where am I going to vote for Micah Parsons for the All-Pro team? And this year, he's going to be an edge rusher, not a linebacker. But they also bring him up the middle a lot where they line him up at like inside linebacker and then blitz him. Okay. Yeah, The Pro Bowl ballot uh, has, has moved him to outside linebacker this year as opposed to inside linebacker. Uh, last year, so we no longer have to decide between him and Fred Warner and pretend they play the same position. Well, the the at least last year they they did. Yeah, last some- year they sort of did sometimes. I mean, that's the thing yeah. is, last year Micah Parsons played two positions, mm-hmm. and he you was know. better at edge rusher. And I'm glad the Cowboys figured that out. I, I, yeah. I really do think they yeah, that he is significantly better as a pass rusher than he is as a coverage guy. And that's a more important position in the NFL in 2022. If you can have a great edge rusher or a great off-ball linebacker, you're taking the edge rusher 10 times out of 10. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the other Thanksgiving interesting stat, Justin Jefferson now has the most receiving yards for any player in his first three seasons, passing Randy Moss. 
And he's neck and neck with Tyreek Hill for the lead in receiving DYAR and actual receiving yards. And it's going to be a really interesting choice, I think, for offensive player of the year between Hill and Jefferson. Yeah, at the midway point, it looked like Hill was running away with this. But, yeah, uh, but now Jefferson's really caught up with him. And Jefferson makes as many amazing catches as Hill makes ones where you're like, oh, my God, he's all alone out there. How fast is that guy? Jefferson makes ones where you're like contested catches, where you're like, how on yes. earth did he get that ball? Yeah. It's, it's a matter uh, of preference as to style there. They're, they're, they are you, – you can make stronger if they're 1A and 1B right now at, at the position. And I'll point out for the Vikings, for the people who are watching and following our Vikings number, the Vikings are now 22nd in DVOA, and they are the first 9-2 and two team to ever be negative, and they're over 10 percentage points behind any other 9-2 and two team in DVOA history. And I will point out, Vikings fans, you can clinch the division this week. There's so still a good chance they beat the Jets. Yeah, there's. I mean, I, I would favor the Jets, but I mean – you know, I think there's like a 55% chance the Jets win this game. Like, there's still a really good chance the Vikings beat the Jets. A win and a Detroit loss would clinch the NFC North, and that would tie the record for earliest division win in the Super Bowl in Super Bowl history. Every other team that's clinched with five weeks left are, like, they're some of the best teams of all times. You have the 2009 Colts. You have the 2007 Patriots, the 2004 Eagles, uh, one of the late Niners teams, the 85 Bears, the 73 Vikings. Usually when a team is clinching a division this early, it's because, well, yes, the division is terrible, but they're also like one of the an all-time great kind of team. Uh, the Vikings are not. They're cuckoo. This is it's crazy. <laughs> when when we talk about elimination or clinching scenarios, this uh, at this point, it's usually things that we all know are going to happen. Dick, surprise, surprise, the Bears could get eliminated this week. You know, huge shock. Uh, but did, uh, our playoff odds still say there's only a ninety-eight point, uh, I think ninety point six percent chance the Vikings win the division. Despite the fact that they can do it this week, the Vikings would have to basically lose out to not win the division. And DVOA is going, well, you know, they're bad. That There's a chance. <laughs> we give the Eagles a 100% chance to make the playoffs. They can I'm going to look terrible if they win the Super Bowl. The, the game of football is going to look terrible if the Minnesota Vikings win the Super Bowl. <laughs> if they, they somehow manage to, to turn this string of good luck and close wins into a, a run against, you know, beating the Eagles, beating the, beating the 49ers, beating the Chiefs, the Bills, it's going to be the least explicable thing, I think, in modern NFL history. Yes. So you mentioned the uh, Vikings have a chance to clinch the division this week. Uh, the the Eagles have a chance to clinch, I, I, clinch the division or clinch a playoff berth? Just clinch the playoff spot. Okay. Uh, Everyone in the division is good. They, they can't clinch that quite yet. Yeah. Uh, but they can do it here. If they win and yeah. the... Commanders, Seahawks, and 49ers all lose. Uh, that would clinch a playoff berth for your Philadelphia Eagles. The second earliest playoff clinch in the second in the Super Bowl area behind the 1990 New York Giants, the uh, uh, team that won the Super Bowl with Jeff Hostetler. Second earliest playoff clinch for any team or for the NFC East in particular? I believe that's for any team. I will, I will, I will triple. So check the Vikings that. also could do that if they clinch this week. Yes, it just yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, the Vikings are a little more impressive because they are the they would they would tie the record for division wins, but just for playoff wins, they they would be in a bigger tie for second place. I also have to point this out because Brian figured it out. So all all points to Brian on this. There are sixteen thousand three hundred and eighty four possible scenarios in the NFC North. And the Vikings win in 16,281 of them. 
That is excluding ties, because I didn't do all four million changed uh, situations of ties. But yes, I, 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 I dug out every single way the Lions or Packers could still take this from them. It's very low. Uh, the other stuff I want to point out, because I did it with the playoff odds, uh, the NFC South is now won by a team with a losing record in 34% of our simulations. There's still a 17% chance the entire NFC East makes the postseason and a 15% chance that the entire AFC East makes the postseason. And both divisions have an over 50% chance of all the teams having winning records. That 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 Giants Commanders game this week is huge. It's colossal. Yeah. Huge. And who would have thought that a month ago? Yeah. Um, yes, the Commanders now have better playoff odds by uh, by DVOA than the Giants because they have a better DVOA than the Giants. I also suspect it's because of that Eagles win. Because if right. they if they end up oh, yeah, tied, sure. you know the the Commanders are are probably going to have a better division record than the Giants yeah. if if they end up tied at nine eight or something. And it's going to be because of that huge upset of the Eagles. That that is a that is a massive tiebreaker at this point in time. That only really matters if they split the games and the Commanders next two games above against the Giants. So we'll find out a lot more in three weeks about who who's coming it, out of that. The Commanders go Giants by Giants. Yes, which is That's so weird. weird piece of yes. That's, that's like a 1930s barnstorming schedule. I don't know how they managed to schedule it that way, but yeah. there we go. Go Akron Pros, another Akron Pros. <laughs> yeah. Five, um, finally, we should end with our weekly Ch Kansas City Chiefs are great stats. And I will point out that if people want the DVOA article that I'm going to put up after the show is over, I'm going to go into why DVOA differs from EPA when it comes to the Chiefs. But that doesn't mean they're not great because they are. Patrick Mahomes now has 38 games with over 300 passing yards. That is the most for any player in their first seven seasons. And Mahomes is only in his sixth season, and he only played one game as a rookie. But wait, it gets better. Yeah. Travis Kelsey now has the most receiving yards for any tight end in his first 11 seasons. But it's his 10th season, and he did not catch a pass as a rookie. So Kelsey has done more in nine seasons than any other tight end has ever done in 11. The Chiefs and volume, they go really well together. And and excitement and points and like the everything. Chiefs and tight ends. If only the Chiefs had had a great tight end in the 60s or 70s. And then they could be like the legendary team of tight ends. Because between Gonzalez and Kelsey, they have dominated the tight end position True. for 25 years. Yeah. But I don't know any great Kansas City tight ends before that. Not 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 particularly. No. There was a very short list of great tight ends before like the 1990s. <laughs> They're not. No, but I mean, I, if only they had had someone like Ditka or John Mackey. They were, they were or, around. What's his name from Washington? Uh, Smith, Jerry Smith. Yeah. You know, or something yeah. like someone like that to or uh, or um, Browns. Uh, Ozzie Newsome, right? Bob yeah, Pearson, one of those guys has been a Kansas City guy. That yeah, you know, Winslow, yeah, yeah, the were, were, that, yeah. that one. Yeah. yeah, there were great tight ends before Tony Gonzalez, but they did not play for the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, yeah. Before before Kellen Winslow, uh, the, you know, they were you know 
big tackles who could occasionally catch. They had the modern tight end yeah. really spawned with Air Coyel and whatnot. It would be interesting to go back if DVOA could go back into the 60s and 70s and see what it would say about Mackie and Ditka. Like if you era adjusted them, would they come out similar to Kelsey and Gronk? Because, you know, if you adjusted for just how low tight end numbers were overall then compared yeah. to me, did they dominate the position to the same extent? My yeah. my guess is it would be similar to if we had it for the, the you know, pre-World pre War II and with Don Hudson for the Packers and his numbers are so off the charts compared to everyone else, he would he would blow. The baselines would be yeah. so low that he would be so far above the baseline, it would break the scale. Yeah. 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 When you put a modern-ish, you know, production against old-timey yeah. numbers, you, you, you know, you just going to blow everything right out of the water. Well, if your season-long fantasy teams have been blown out of the water, I have good news for you. You can go play on Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100. Promo code OUTSIDERS. You can play Underdog's Battle Royale, a fast six-round weekly fantasy football draft with easier chances to win than traditional daily fantasy sports sites. You can even win $50,000 if you grab first place. Or you can try their pick'em games where you can easily pick players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines, even in states where traditional prop betting currently isn't available. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy site around. Join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download Underdog in the App Store and use promo code OUTSIDERSNOW to double your first deposit up to $100. It's basically free money, people. Come on now, free money. And uh, while you're signing up for Outsiders, please also sign up for FO+. I see why you're signing up for Underdog. Also sign up for FO+ at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. I believe we still, still have the Black Friday sale, I think. Oh, so great news. 25%, 25% off an FO Plus subscription right now. And uh, quarterback pass by direction number should be coming by tomorrow. Oh, my goodness. That's more data we get. NFL betting picks, fantasy advice, premium stats such as quarterback passing by direction. And I know a lot of people love this. An ad-free experience. All for you at FO+. It's Black Friday. There's never a better time to give us a try. And uh, last but not least, I want to last but not least, I want to invite everyone to join us on the Football Outsider Discord for in-game conversation every Sunday and very often during the Monday, Thursday, and upcoming Saturday games in the NFL slate. You can Communicate with us, the writers of Football Outsiders, and let us know how you feel. So that is going to do it for today. I want to thank uh, Aaron and Brian for joining. I want to thank Ross for helping us produce the show. Mostly I want to thank you, the listeners, because you're the reason we're here. So that was fun, everybody. Let's do it again next week. Bye.